following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Well, good morning, men. Nice to see you all. I hope you had a great opportunity this last week to somehow be amazing leaders and take some initiative in the lives of other people to influence and impact them. I certainly had that privilege when uh, Monday came and everyone was wondering about the awful weather that was predicted to hit our city. And uh, the responsibility fell on my shoulders. I would make the call about whether school was going to be occurring on Tuesday or not. And so I kept checking the weather almost every 30 minutes in the forecast. And everyone kept saying that uh, it was going to be worse than last Friday. Last Friday, we had over 200 wrecks here in the city of Houston, and that was a good thing because uh, Friday is normally a day when the seminary here in Houston is closed anyway, so it didn't bother us. But we didn't want all of our students driving from all parts of the region <clears throat> under dangerous conditions, so I uh, watched uh, Houston Independent School District, and they shut down, and then the Katy uh, Independent School District, they shut down, Spring shut down. And then the uh, airlines told us that our faculty member who's flying down from Dallas couldn't make it because they canceled that flight. And uh, CBS, uh, College of Biblical Studies across the street, they canceled all their classes. So I was kind of the last one on the totem pole. So I said, man, everyone else is shutting down. We better we better do the same thing. So we shut down. And uh, so Tuesday, I came along and I, I went outside and there was nothing. And then I um, thought, well, maybe I have time to get to the grocery store and buy some groceries in case we really get shut down. So I went to the grocery store, and there was nothing. And uh, I saw a snowflake. I actually saw a snowflake here in Houston. And I thought, when I get out of the grocery store, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to catch one on my tongue just to say that I caught a snowflake in Houston on my tongue. But by the time I came out of the store, there weren't any more snowflakes. So it uh, it was kind of a disappointment. And it's one of those decisions that you make as a leader. You call the shots, and either everyone says, man, you're a prophet, thank you so much, or they laugh at you for being a chicken. So I got laughed at for being a chicken. But uh, it was uh, all of our staff really appreciated it because they got an extra day off. So that's, uh, that was a good thing. Yeah. We don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I had enough time to do some more uh, reading and background research for today's lesson, and I was uh, struck by this very special story of a guy who played the bagpipes and was very good at playing the bagpipes in Scotland. He just did this on the side. He had a regular job, but he loved the music and he loved the pipes. And whenever he had an invitation to go someplace to play, he would. And one of the uh, people who knew him and knew of his skills was a funeral director and said they were opening up a brand new um, a cemetery, and they were going to have their first service there of a homeless man who didn't have any friends or family. And they asked, well, it would be great if you could come maybe, and it would be great dedication for the, for the cemetery anyway. So he said, sure, absolutely, he would go. So he, he got the instructions, and it was out in the country, and he had never been to that part of Scotland before, and the hills were rolling, and the streets or roads were narrow. There weren't uh, many signs. In fact, there were a number of streets that na- were not named, and so promptly he got lost. So he's roaming around the countryside trying to find the cemetery, and he was over an hour late, 
and uh, getting very discouraged. And suddenly he saw the backhoe up ahead on a hill and some workers. So he thought, oh, great, I finally found this place. So he, he drove up and grabbed his pipes and walked up very solemn and apologized to everyone that he was so late. There was no hearse. No guests were there. The only people who were left were the were the workers, and they they, they were already getting wrapped up on, uh, with all the things that they were doing. And he looked down into the hole that they had dug, and they already put the concrete casement together. So he realized how late he really was, but he said, well, I gave my promise. I said I would do this. So if you gentlemen don't mind, I'm just going to go ahead and play. So we begin to play like he's never played before with a heart and soul into the music of the pipes and the haunting sound there and the the highlands of Scotland. It was so beautiful. He was crying and he he was playing with such heart and passion that all of the the guys who were there digging the hole, they were crying. And so he thought, well, this is a great deal. I'm not going to stop now. So he played a second song and they cried even more and a third song and they cried even more. And so he pulled out his final stop and played Amazing Grace, which gets everybody anyway. And all these guys were sobbing away. They couldn't even speak at the end of that. And he just stopped uh, with uh, the pipes and he nodded his head and couldn't say anything. He just turned to walk away. And the workers were standing there just sobbing away. And the foreman just said, man, sweet Jesus, I've never seen or experienced anything like this. In all the 20 years of putting in these septic tanks, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's, it's one of those kinds of stories that reminds me now that when, I think whenever I hear the pipes playing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of taint my thinking. And how in the world do you play something so so wonderful like that at, at such a moment? Well, at least the guy was good. I mean, the lesson that was from his own words is, I promised I would do this. Even though I'm really late, I'm going to get it done. So he, he kept his word, and, and his, his obligation was now fulfilled. It teaches us something about life and something about uh, Joshua, actually, and whenever he made a commitment, he would always follow through with it. Now, some of us guys were really good. We can get we can get all excited about making a promise. We could step across the line. We could raise our hand. We could step forward. But when it comes really down to now fulfilling what we said that we would promise, sometimes we try to second-guess ourselves, step back, and we hesitate. Well, maybe no one will remember that I made this promise. Well, commitment's not like that. And Joshua teaches us about commitment. And when you say you're in, you're in. And when you're in, you follow through with all of your commitments. Now, part of my life was here in the world of martial arts. And one of the things that you learn in the world of martial arts is when you commit, you commit. You don't hesitate. You don't second-guess yourself. You don't step back. When you're in, you're in. And if you hesitate, you're not only going to get beat, you'll probably get yourself hurt. So whenever you break bricks or break boards, you always make sure that the follow-through is critical. And right at the point of impact where there's the greatest amount of resistance or pain, you do not shrink back. Commitment is all about not only the promise, but also the follow-through. So when we make a promise, we want to make sure that we keep it. And when we keep it, we put in all the gusto and all the energy we have, just as when we made the promise initially. Those are our thoughts as we think about Joshua chapter 6 and verses 22 to 27. Listen carefully In that context, if you remember these things that I've just said. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers, and all who belonged to her. 
They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And as she lives, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced his solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son will he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest will he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Now I understand that when you read through the first six chapters of the book of Joshua, you get to these verses here from 22 all the way to 27. And the tendency from all of us is to say, well, this is just sort of the epilogue. We'll just kind of rush over this and get to the very end. But there's something being emphasized here by God in Joshua's life. And it's that fact that when you make a promise, you keep it all the way to the end. Follow through is critical when we make promises before Almighty God. So let's look at this particular picture as Joshua takes the initial step to tell these young men, now go in and keep your promise. That's not just a transition, but here is something amazing about the life of a true leader because the lives of other people who are younger, less experienced, are waiting for us to say it's time to go. Take the initiative to urge others to keep and fulfill the promises that they have made. This concept of initiative is everything pictured here as Joshua gives these instructions to these amazing spies who went into the land to serve him. He tells them, go and bring her out. This is something where Joshua is very familiar with what the promises and the oath that was made by his spies. What they said represented him and his integrity and his honor. They spoke in his place. Now he would give them authority to keep the promises that they made to Rahab. In accordance with the oath, we don't make a promise unless we know that we want to put something that valuable on the line in the life of another person. Our promises are extremely precious to us. We don't give them out easily. We don't just say this is true. We don't say you can put our reputation on the line easily. We know when we say those words that this is true. So uh, last night when I was trying to wrap up this lesson, I had the television on to some station that was talking about the game wardens up in the state of Maine. And uh, I'm not sure what show it was or what it's called, something like Law in the North or Northland Law or something. And these uh, two wardens were out there, and they saw this strange-looking sight. It was a pickup truck out in the middle of nowhere on the end of a road. And so they walked up to investigate, and there was these two ladies inside with a little baby. And so they separated the two women and asked what they were doing there. And the uh, young girl who was a driver said, no, we're not doing anything. We're just relaxing and enjoying it. Uh, of course, everything's nothing illegal, nothing illegal. Uh, well, let me see your driver's license, uh, right, registration, and proof of insurance. Well, she had none of that. She didn't have her driver's license. Well, we're not doing anything wrong. Oh, nothing illegal. And the officer says, well, what's your name? And she took a moment to remember what her name was. And so he called in her name and found out that her license had been revoked. So she was driving without a license. Nothing illegal. Oh, no, nothing illegal. I'm just driving without my license because it's been suspended. 
So the other officer is talking to this other woman, and he says, yeah, sir, is anything going on here that's fishy? Oh, no, nothing. No drugs? No, nothing. Anything illegal? Oh, no, no, nothing illegal. Uh, do you have any identification? Oh, I didn't bring it with me. We just took off, and we're going to have a relaxing time. Well, what's your name? She took a couple seconds to remember her name, and uh, he called in her name, and uh, they gave her immediate response that she had three warrants out on her for her arrest. So she, he calls her over and says, nothing illegal? Oh, nothing illegal. Well, you have three warrants out for your arrest. Really? I didn't know that. There are some people who give you every sense that what they are saying is true. But there's nothing valid about what they're saying. They're trying to hide something. They're trying not to give up what will be incriminating to them. Gentlemen, we want to be men who are going to go out here and represent Jesus Christ in the city of Houston. And our word is gold. When we give our promises, people can count on them. And when we take the initiative in the lives of other people that we have authority or influence over, we also take the initiative for them. Because people who have not given promises in the past many times, when it comes right down now to living up with the promises that they have given, some of them have counted the cost after they've made the promise. And they're thinking, I don't think I like what I promised. Well, maybe no one will remember. But if we help people take the initiative to fulfill their promises, their integrity gains in strength. And this is a great lesson from what Joshua is doing. He takes the initiatives so that these young spies who gave their word, they gave an oath based not only upon their own integrity, but upon the integrity of Joshua whom they represented. And Joshua wanted to make sure they would fulfill the promises that were consistent with their integrity that was growing and his as a leader of the nation of Israel, and mostly because they did it in the name of God. In this whole process, then they take uh, the family of uh, Rahab outside of the camp of Israel. And to me, this is a, a beautiful picture of what's going on here with the whole business of what redemption is all about. Here, Rahab has to live a life of prostitution. We don't know why she did it, if she wanted to, if she was forced into it, but it was an unpleasant, ungodly, un, undesirable kind of life. But in the environment in which she was, that was probably her only option. And there in this life of enslavement, of something she did not like to do, suddenly men come in, men of faith. And in her small way, her faith grows and attaches itself to the faith of these men. These men come in and promise her freedom for the life that she has lived. And out of that freedom, she is granted this liberty. These men go in and fulfill that promise of liberty and take her out of the city of Jericho. They have purchased her through this bloodbath of victory when every life in the city of Jericho is taken. Her life and the life of her entire family are spared. She is then removed from the city along with her family and placed in the camp of the nation of Israel. Her new identity is established because she's now a part of the nation. One of the most amazing things about this picture is you, is you meditate on it. Is This is the same picture of redemption that God has given to each one of us because of Jesus Christ. The word redemption means to buy, to purchase. And there's three words in the New Testament that tell the story of redemption that Christ gave to us. He comes into the marketplace where we are being sold as a slave. We are now owned by somebody else 
who's paid money for us. That's a picture of sin and how sin has its grasp on our life. Jesus Christ comes in, breaks that bondage and re-owns us for himself because of the blood that he shed and paid for our sins. But not only does he free us by giving us our own now relationship and identity with him, he takes us out of the slave market. He removes us from the place that reminds us of all of this sin and all of this domination of mastery over our lives. He takes us out of that. He removes us from it. But he doesn't take us out and just makes us his slave by obligation. But he removes us from the marketplace and he sets us free. He sets us free to make a choice on our own of what we will now do with our lives. Now that he purchased us, now that he removed us, now that he set us free. Those three steps of the picture of redemption is what Jesus Christ did for us. And it's the same picture of what he's done here for Rahab during this time when the the city of Jericho is overwhelmed. It is a beautiful picture of God promising us his love, him fulfilling it, and him giving us liberty that results from it all. One of the most amazing things that occurs after all this is the dedication of the city of Jericho to the Lord. The nation of Israel at this point is incredibly obedient. They look at this city and they don't take it for themselves because God has given to them through Joshua a promise that this city now belongs to Almighty God. This ownership, this gift to God, everything in the land is going to be given to the nation of Israel except for this city which is now dedicated to the Lord. So God tells the nation of Israel, burn the whole city. That's the direction that they are given. And when you get the treasure, when you find the gold, when you find the silver, when you find the iron, put it all in my treasury. They belong to me. But Joshua says the only contrast to that is Rahab being spared. Now, one of the most amazing things about this verse is something that all of us guys can probably relate to. Man, what a waste. This amazing city with all of this wealth, the lives of these people, they could be our slaves. Look at the cattle. Look at the sheep. Look at all the other livestock. Kill it all. What a waste. If there's ever been a time when there's been something dedicated to the Lord and you thought to yourself, man, what a waste. That's when humanness creeps in to try to take back What God says is his. I don't know how many times I spent time with a family, when a young person who's so sold out for Jesus Christ wants to dedicate their life to the service of the Lord. They want to go to seminary. They want to leave home. They want to sell all they have to come and study the word of God, hone their skills to be God's servant. And I don't know how many times the mother would look at me with tears in her eyes and said, can he he at least go to optician school so we have something to fall back on? Can he, can he at least go to, to the university and get an engineering degree so in case things don't go on the ministry, he'll always have a way to earn money so that he could feed himself and his family? What a waste, they're saying to me. What a risk, they're saying to me. And I remember that story because the first time I heard it was when my mom looked at me with tears in her eyes. And I told her I'm going off to Baba College to prepare for ministry. And she says, what a waste. Can't you at least go to optician school so you have something to fall back on? 
And after I told my mom, I went up to my dad and I told him that I'm going to go to Bible college to study for ministry. And my dad looked at me. He never said a word. He just turned around and walked away and didn't speak to me for days. That's the culture I come from. Ministries looked upon as one of the dregs of society. People who beg for, uh, for food and for money from other people for doing nothing that's worthwhile. But when we keep our promises to God, because he calls us in the ministry, we belong to him or whatever it might be. A lot of us made promises with regard to the money that comes in for our income. And we say, God, I'm going to give you the first 10%. And then when the money comes and all of a sudden the bills come and you start to say to yourself, well, maybe I'll just give the Lord 7% this month. He knows. He understands. And so we take back a little bit. We don't give to the Lord what we promised him. And we don't give the Lord a chance to show us that when we dedicate all things to him, we better follow through with those decisions because God will bless us. And we will not fall short of enjoying what God has given. Well, dedication to the Lord is one of those powerful things. And it's given here because Rahab had this just this moment of courage. And she hid those spies. One of the amazing things about this whole business is that it's the very last passage of Scripture that God gives to us. Is that if anyone tries to take back what has been dedicated to him, they're going to get cursed. So it's one thing not to promise something to God, but it's another thing to promise something for God and then take it back. God's not into that whole business of rethinking our promises to him. God wants us to know the cost in advance and then to follow through whatever decision we have made. He says to this person, uh, Joshua makes his promise, if anyone builds on this foundation of the city of Jericho, their lives will be forfeited through these terrible times of tragedy. This last verse is a very special one. And so the Lord was with Joshua, just as he had promised, and his fame spread throughout the land. Joshua was a man of great courage, one of the very few in the Bible whose lives never show us a weakness. But God continues to bless his amazing obedience. And because his obedience was not just in the courage on the front end of things, where he made these outlandish promises, but he was a man who followed through with all the promises he made. Not many. But the ones he did, he kept. When we keep our promises, God will bless us. I suppose that kind of theology is uh, simple, but it's probably, maybe in my mind, one of the best ways it was ever illustrated through country western music. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've studied the Bible, what it says about music. And when I study the Bible about what it says about music, there's really only two types of music in the Bible. It's country and western. But it's amazing how many times God uses that to show us some pretty cool things. Uh, Rodney Atkins did a song, and he he did it, and uh, probably spoke really well on the same truth that we have been learning here in Joshua chapter 6. And uh, it's uh, through a song that he wrote and sang called Watching You. And if you think about this whole idea of following through with our promises and the lives that we influence, because those lives that we influence that are watching us, if we are consistent in following through with keeping our promises, God will bless not only our life, but the life that's watching us. This is what he wrote in this song. Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. 
A green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well did, my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where did you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. And eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camel pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. We got back home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. I said, Lord, please help me. Help my stupid self. Then this side then this side of bedtime, later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of his bed and got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding Mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. With tears in my eyes, I wrapped him in a hug, said my little bear is growing up. He said, but when I'm big, I'll still know what to do. Because I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. By then, I'll be as strong as Superman. We'll be just alike, won't we, Dad? When I can do everything you do, because I've been watching you. There were two spies who have been watching Joshua all through this crossing of the Jordan River, all through the marching around the city, all through that final order to shout and the walls came down. All the way through that moment when he said to them with eyes locked on theirs, go and fulfill the promise that you have made to Rahab and her family. When we men have lived our lives well, kept our integrity solid, take the initiative to energize the lives of those who are around us so we can give them the signal to initiate keeping their promises too. Because people are watching us, and that's what we want to happen. So in times of crisis, in those moments, whether it's our own child, whether it's somebody that we have responsibility to at the workplace, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a relative or a neighbor, because they are watching us, we want to give them a great example of what to follow. Someone with initiative, someone with a commitment and a deep belief in Almighty God. That's how we want to live our lives. We want to be men who keep our promises as we live our lives in front of others. Enjoy your terrible time, guys. Great discussion stuff on this great lesson in Joshua. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.